The Giants hit the field for their first training camp practice. Coach Gene Clemens joins me on today's show as we get you ready for that practice and some of the changes and storylines that we will be watching for here as we follow the Giants through training camp. That's coming up next on the Locked on Giants podcast. You are Locked on Giants, your daily New York Giants podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, New York Giant fans, and welcome to another edition of the Locked On Giants podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast family, your team every day. My name is Patricia Trena. Happy to have you with us on this Wednesday. It is July 27th, and you know what that means, ladies and gentlemen. It means the New York Giants are hitting the practice field. And depending on when you watch this particular video or hear this podcast, team will have either hit the practice field or they are about to hit it. And there's certainly a lot to cover and we are getting you ready for all that. And joining me to preview uh, the training camp is coach Gene Clemens. He is a writer over at Giants Country. He has his own podcast. So you can find information in the show notes about it. And um, if you're not following coach Gene, check him out. He's at Gene Clemens. Really good stuff. Coach Gene, happy to have you with us. Happy summer to you. Hey, absolutely. Thank you. And, and, you know, officially with the start of um, training camp, summer is over. Like when once training camp gets here, we are, we are back in the full force and it's, it's articles coming at, at rapid pace. It's, it's content. It's great. It's a great time, especially, I think one of the, one of the things that's missed is that people don't realize how much easier it is. And I talked about it on my, on my podcast um, on, on Monday, how, how easy it is to talk about football when, when there's hope, right? When there's hope, fans are a lot more receptive to the articles when there's hope. And so right now you've got 32 teams that are all hopeful. And I know um, all the Giants fans are out there hopeful that this can be something that builds onto something great. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you're right. It is a renewed sense of hope. And, you know, it's interesting, Gene, because it just seems different this year with the Giants. You know, they pressed the reset button. They brought in a new GM and a new head coach on the same timeline. How important do you think that is as opposed to previous attempts when they had the GM in place and then a new head coach and, you know, just kind of did it in piecemeal? Well, I mean, it's, it's not always ideal to change everything out, right? Like sometimes there, there's a talented GM or at least a GM that has a philosophy that's in place and now you just need the right head coach in place. Or sometimes you have a head coach that you really believe in, but you need a GM to, 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 to you know, to be able to support that, you know, um, that, that head coach. I, I think when you bring in a matchup like this where a guy who's a, a, a brand new GM first time at the job and a brand new head coach first time at the job, you're, you're at least encouraged by the fact that they have some type of relationship already built from their previous, from, from, from their previous stop, which was successful. So I think from that standpoint, you, you've got to like this situation of new GM, new coach, I don't know if it's always the, the, the way to go because it's a scary proposition. If you get the GM and the coach wrong, 
you'll probably be two to three coaches in before you actually realize that the GM's the wrong decision. So that's, that's usually how it goes. The, the coach goes first and then the GM picks another coach. And then all of a sudden after that second coach, people start going, eh, maybe it's the GM. I think that's the situation we were in with our previous, with our previous um, GM. If you want to look at his, um, his tenure, um, you, when you run through multiple coaches, all of a sudden it points the finger back at you. And so his impatience with the previous coaches actually led to a faster demise for him than it probably would have been had he shown more patience. Indeed. And, you know, a lot of, we, we hear a lot about renewed sense of energy. I mean, every year, everybody's starting zero and zero. So there's always new energy. And I'm not so sure if, you know, this year there's more energy or whatnot, but um, you know, it's interesting. So let's talk about the X's and O's here because a lot of people say, okay, Brian Dable came down from Buffalo. Mike Kafka's coming over from Kansas City. This giant offense is going to be somehow a mix of the two offenses. But the Giants don't have the same personnel as Buffalo or Kansas City. They had their own set of personnel. So that being said, as a coach, how do you kind of mix all that together? And just, you know, what differences might we anticipate or, or unique qualities do you think might develop as a result of the philosophies, but the personnel? Well, I think that the personnel more at the receiver, offensively receivers, the personnel probably more um, mimics what was in Buffalo from that standpoint, because you have guys who are, a lot of guys who are tacticians, you don't have a bunch of the first level guy being a burner. The, the Kansas City offense is hard to duplicate because it's hard to get four guys who could run sub 1100 meter dash, you know, on your team, which is what they had in Kansas City with those receivers. And then that tight end being an otherworldly athlete as well. Um, so I think from the receiver standpoint, you have something that looks very similar to what they have in Buffalo. The problem is the quarterback's not the same, right? So the Yes, Daniel Jones has athleticism, but he's not 250 pounds, you know, back there rumbling, bumbling, stumbling with that, athlete, with that athleticism. So can you run him on quarterback power like you were running, you know, um, Josh Allen? I don't think that's necessarily going to be good for Daniel Jones' health. He's athletic. So how do we take advantage of that athleticism without getting him hurt? That's going to be that's going to be the trick, right? That's going to be what they what they what they have to do. How do we take advantage of that athleticism so that the quarterback run is is a part of the game plan? And and I think I spoke about this a lot last year, allowing the Giants to be an eleven on eleven football team as opposed to ten on eleven, where the quarterbacks just back there hand, handing the ball off. Um, I, so I think from the quarterback standpoint you'll probably see him used as a runner similar to the way that they use Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City. And that, that's where we see the melding of the two offenses. Now, the problem there is nobody has Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen arms. So when, outside of maybe Jameis Winston in New Orleans, who has a, a rocket for an arm, um, Malik, Willis, Malik Willis has a rocket for an arm, but he probably won't even be playing in Tennessee this year. So when you look at that, you go, okay, 
you will probably see a lot of the short passing game like we saw in Buffalo. We'll probably see the quarterback runs used the way that we saw them in Kansas City being more of an of an perimeter attacking quarterback run. And, and we'll try to meld those two things together and mix it with a run game that we probably saw in Kansas City back when they had um, Kareem Hunt being able to, to, to run the ball as effectively, which is what I think was the best iteration of Kansas City when they had Kareem Hunt as the running back to go along with those track meet guys. And a, and a healthy um, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was, was a good runner as well. I think you'll see that type of thing kind of meld both of those offenses together. All right, so hopefully it'll be a little bit more creative, a little more modern. I had just posted, uh, actually on, uh, on Monday, I had posted a tweet about the receivers. I don't know if you saw the tweet, but <clears throat> let me find it real quick. It was about the percentage of um, first downs that the receivers were able to, to uh, generate. I, I don't know if you saw the tweet. I'm going to find it, and I'm going to put it on the screen, actually. But um, the Giants receivers, this is based on 50 uh, targets, on the percentage of first downs that they were able to generate. So you had Tony, Kadarius Tony was the leader, 36.8%. Sterling Shepard, 35.8%. Galladay was third, 35.5%. And Darius Slayton, 24.1%. Those are pretty, you know, ugh, you know, so not very good numbers. Yeah, I think, I think when you look at it, though, it has to be, it, you have to remember the type of offense, right? Right. So, um, and you have to remember how inept the offense was so a lot of their receptions were coming on first and 10, third and, third and long, second and long. Not a lot of picking up of first downs when you're having to go every single time, you know, 10 plus yards in order to get that first down. Mm -hmm. I think that what we will hope is we'll hope that um, renewed vigor in the run game and improved offensive line allows us to have more allows us to have more opportunities for second and short, third and short, where a reception picks up a first down and you'll see those numbers increase. I also think um, part of that blame has to be put on Daniel Jones. When guys are running routes and you're putting it on his back shoulder where he's not able to catch it and run after the catch, they're not going to pick up more yards. So as Daniel Jones gets better with his, with his accuracy, which we know he has when he's not under pressure, that'll improve as well. So the quicker they get the ball out of Daniel Jones' hands, the more comfortable he feels, the better um, or more accurate his passes are, the more those wide receivers will be able to catch the ball and pick up extra yards after the catch, which will, you know, help those, help those situations. It's not surprising to me, though, when I look at it, that Tony, who is the shiftiest of all of them, has the highest percentage with Shepard, who is a shifty-er, wide receiver second and Galladay who's not really that shifty and Slayton who we know is just more of a deep ball guy they're not going to get like like they're not going to pick up those extra yards after Slayton um a lot of his stuff is, is going to be a deep ball or you know he's running a dummy a dummy five that's I mean a w9 that's how he's being used that's how he's been used with Galladay he's more of a jump ball kind of guy when in traffic or he's a he's a, a middle of the road 
possession possession guy. So those types of skills don't lend itself to run after the catch. And so if you're not making a lot of those catches, then you're not going to have an opportunity to pick up first downs. Yeah, indeed. And, you know, again, the scheme is going to be a little bit different, a lot different, actually. Not going to see as many comeback routes, you know, stick routes and all that stuff. Going to see routes where maybe they try and hit these guys in stride. Let them pick up the yards after the catch as opposed to coming back. I never understood. You have them come back. You give defense a chance to come and get you. You know, and and like you said, you have two guys who are shifty and two guys who really aren't and just wasn't really a fit. You questioned the fit that, you know, Jason Garrett was was trying to accomplish. So it's nice to see. That's where I I don't mean to cut you off, Patricia. That's that's where we see the the GM and the head coach or the offensive philosophy has to be on the same page. Right. It's not Jason Garrett's fault. That's what he inherited. They gave him those types of players for an offense that maybe doesn't fit those types of players for what he was trying to do. If he had other players, maybe those other players better fit the type of offense he was trying to employ. But for whatever the reason, those things didn't line up. So do you take a Kadarius Tony, a Kadarius Tony, when you know you have an offense that doesn't really like highlight a, 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 a Swiss Army knife type of player like that? I think when you add Tony and now Wondell Robinson in the um, in the situation, you're going to have two guys that make people miss in the phone booth. That's that's an opportunity to change the dynamic, get the ball into their hands, allow them to work. Um, you're going to see them pick up the cheap first downs, and I think that's what we didn't see happen a lot for the Giants last year. All right, Giant fans, we have more coming up on today's Lock on Giants podcast. But first, if you are living paycheck to paycheck or struggling to make ends meet, it can be really stressful when the unexpected expenses come up. Now, Dave can help get you out of a pinch when you really need it. Dave is the banking app that can help you get up to $500 instantly with extra cash. There's no interest and no credit check needed. Millions of people have already downloaded the Dave app to get the financial relief that they need with extra cash. So if you're in a pinch and you need a little extra help, Download Dave, that's D-A-V-E, from the App Store or from Google Play. Sign up for an extra cash account and get up to $500 instantly. Future you will thank you. Terms and conditions apply. Instant transfer fees apply. Visit dave.com slash legal for complete information. Banking provided by Evolve, member FDIC. I want to go back to Daniel Jones because I know this question is going to come up. Now, on Wednesday, Joe Shane and Brian Abel are both expected to speak. I know this question is going to come up when it comes for Day, uh, not Dable, for, for Shane. Are you, going to, are you going to be the one to ask it? That's why it's I, going to I, come up? I might very well be, you know? <laughs> but I know, I know it's a burning question. I want to put it to you, though. Um, a lot of people ask me, what does Daniel Jones have to show? to be, you know, the guy moving forward. And I don't think you can attach numbers to it. You can't sit here and say he's got to throw for 4,000 yards, 25 touchdowns, less than 10 interceptions. I don't think you can put numbers to it because numbers, I think in this case, are, are all, you know, relative. What do you think Daniel Jones needs to show in order to quiet the concerns that he, about him being a franchise quarterback? 
okay. Don't kill me, Giants fans. There's nothing he can show. There's nothing he can show outside of being an MVP candidate that gets this team into the playoffs. If we look at the model in which the NFL exists now, his time has run out. And it doesn't mean that he can't be a starting quarterback in the NFL. It just means that he probably can't be a starting quarterback for this team. Outside of Peyton Manning, I'm sorry, outside of, yeah, outside of old, old Peyton Manning, um, Tom Brady, who is the GOAT, and then a recent um, win in the Super Bowl by um, the Rams, what, which team has won a Super Bowl with a quarterback on a big, gigantic contract? The, the, the time to strike while the iron is hot is in those first five years where you have the quarterback under control for a modest amount of money, even if they're a first-round draft pick. So now, let's say Daniel Jones goes out there and puts himself in a situation where he throws for 4,000 yards, 30-something touchdowns, eight interceptions, and everybody is saying, oh, my gosh, he's the guy we knew it all along, right? But their record could be 4-13 and 13 when he does that. So if, if you have a 4-13 and 13 record with a guy who just did all of that, And as a GM, you have to be asking yourself, well, how much more does he have to do to elevate this team to winning? And the answer is probably something he's not capable of doing. It's time to move on. But now he becomes a good bargaining chip to to trade to another team for maybe a second or third or fourth round draft pick. If he if he does get everybody under if he does get everybody um, to rally behind him and they become a playoff team which is improbable, but not unlikely, um, or it, which is unlikely, but not improbable, excuse me. Now the Giants have to ask themselves, okay, well, how much money are we talking about committing to him? Because the going rate right now is $35 million a year up. So he's not re-signing to a long-term deal for $20 million a year. That's not going to happen. So you might be able to get him on – you might be able to, to, um, to franchise them, but that franchise tag is a gigantic tag. And this team wants to be able to add and transform itself. You can't transform yourself tying up that much money in your quarterback. So he's caught in a rock and a hard place, even if he performs, even if he, if he shows out. If I'm the GM, if I'm the head coach, I'm already preparing myself for life without him because we know that the best way for us to have success is to hit the reset button with a new guy in the draft. And now we have five years to make it happen with him before we have to pay him that exorbitant amount of money. Yeah. I was going to ask you about the contract aspect of it, because, you know, they're going to have to do Andrew Thomas coming up, you know, Xavier McKinney is going to be coming up. I mean, there's always going to be guys coming up and you can't, I don't think at any rate, give Daniel Jones a a Josh Allen type contract. I just don't see that happening. Maybe you give him a contract similar to what Derek Carr got with the Raiders. But even then, even then, even then you're talking about a lot of You're basing it on one year. You're basing it on one year production. To me, that's a bit of a risk, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. And I think it it was a risk with Carr because will that contract equal Super Bowl success? So if the Giants front office are saying, we want to be back where we were, we want to get back to the point where we were winning championships. Okay. 
is this contract getting us closer to a championship or is it just giving us a solidified quarterback over the next four to five years? If the answer is the latter, then you move on because every move you make that's not getting you towards a Super Bowl is a move not worth making. Exactly. And it's interesting because Jones was ranked, I think, 30th by the Athletic in their their new, you know, quarterback ranking that came out. So I haven't seen it. I just, you know, heard about the ranking and, you know, I don't know that he's that bad, but he's certainly not, you know, he's got a lot to prove. So, all right, let's talk about real quick, Saquon Barkley. I know we've had conversations about him before, pretty much the same type of situation, very polarizing figure. You look at what the offense projects to do with the running back. They're really, you know, not going to run guys heavily, but Saquon's such a unique talent and if healthy, he could be an asset in the passing game. So you're Joe Shane. It's the end of the year. What do you need to see from Saquon Barkley to say, you know what? Okay, we'll consider giving you a, a contract extension. Well, I think I think his situation is different than Daniel Jones in the fact that there is no set amount of money that running backs are making off of uh, off of the re off of the re up. Um, in so many other in so many other situations, not excuse me, especially at quarterback, there's a set amount of money that we're starting at. The conversation is starting here with running back. It's not that way. It's almost like, hey, get what you can get and be happy with it. And so I think that when you're talking about um, Saquon Barkley, if he shows that he can be in the same dynamic as those other running backs who are effective runners and pass receivers, I think that there's a role for him on this team. And I, I don't think, I, I don't, I, again, we, we don't want to necessarily attach numbers to it, but if the pass receiving looks impressive and the rushing, especially the yards per attempt, look impressive, that's somebody that's probably going to be on this team beyond this year, as long as the asking price is not astronomical. And if it is, then he'll probably be on another team. Yeah, yeah. That's going to be a big one. You cannot afford to pay big money to a running back. We've seen it not work out for other teams, you know, because running backs have short shelf lives for the most part. Well, you, can, you, can, you, can pay the, you can pay a running back big money because they're not going to make quarterback money, but right. you can't pay a running back who's not going to be on a field big money. And right. I think that's the problem that we've yeah. seen is it's not that it's not that the money is so much you can't get over it. It's that if the quarter, if the running back is going to get hurt because it's a, it's a, it's a position that it can get easily nicked up, easily bruised, easily injured, then that becomes not worth it. All right. Let's talk offensive line. The age old question, better or different? I know we haven't seen them in pads. Mm-hmm. We know a little bit about, you know, what each guy brings. I don't know about you, but I have just the tiniest bit of concern about this unit. But what do you see when you look at this unit? I think that this unit has an identity crisis right now. Are we trying to be the big, intimidating, like maul you over offensive line? Or are we trying to be the slick, heady, understand roles, um, you know, gritty type of offensive line. They have some guys that don't really make sense right now. Shane Lemieux has been playing guard. Um, He is way different looking than any of the guards that they drafted. All of the guards they drafted are behemoths. Shane Lemieux is not a behemoth. Nick Gates is not a behemoth. So, like, 
he and, and and everybody's still hoping out hope for Nick Gates because of you know, I think he's just a likable guy. Um, but he doesn't necessarily fit that we're just gonna run you over and punch you in the mouth type of offensive line that it seems like they're trying to build with who they drafted, right? So which one is it? I think that that training camp is going to answer a lot of those questions. Um, I think we could see some offensive linemen be some of the first people to go once they realize mm, this guy's not going to fit what we're trying to do. Um, and I think that some of those some of those might come from the old regime who were really taking flyers on guys to see about developing them in a particular style. And now it'll, it'll depend on what that style is going to be. Right now, I think they have some questions. I think you, you know what it's going to be on the tackles. Like, we know what that is. The question will be who's their, who's their backup or who's that third guy, who's the swing guy. But then inside, what are we doing? Are we going... Are we going with size and power? Are we going with intelligence and athleticism or savvy and athleticism? I won't say intelligence because that's not fair. Um, but are we going with savvy and athleticism? Like what type of offensive line are we trying to have on the interior? Yeah, you're right. It, 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 was, it is a bit of an uh, identity crisis. And you also have guys on the interior who are on one of your deals. So it's almost like, placeholders if you will until they can address it you know that's how I see it you know they don't have a true center you know John Feliciano is going to play center for them but he was a guard for for Buffalo and a guy if I'm not mistaken didn't they bench him last year absolutely they don't have a legitimate they don't have a no they that he he was he was he he missed time with injury right they replaced him and then when he came back healthy he got one start and then they put him back to the bench Right. They don't have a, I've been talking about it all summer. No one wants to yeah. talk about it, but they don't have a center on the, on the roster. Right. Like Nick Gates is not a center. Nick Gates is a guard that they moved yeah. the center. So right. like they don't have somebody who's been playing a position in a draft where there were several centers that you could have taken to groom as the guy right there. And they chose to do it another way. I think they do have what they want at guard. I just don't know if they know exactly what they want at guard yet. The, mm. the, two, the, 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 two, um, the two guys out of North Carolina, I think both of them have plus capability to be starters in the NFL. Um, I think that the guys that they already have on the roster have potential to be starters in the NFL. Glowinski is a guy. Is he here for three years? Is he here for a year? Is he here for the next six years? He's a starter. He's been productive but they all look and feel different. And yeah. so it's like, which one are you going, which, which way are you going? Which identity are you going with? You're only going to travel seven offensive linemen. So it's not like you're going to have your choice of these 12 different offensive linemen that you can mix match um, philosophies with. You're going to have seven guys that need to be able to do what you want to do. And, and that'll be the question. Which right. ones will it be? Yeah, that's an interesting point. You know, I mean, a lot of people don't talk about the identity crisis, but you're right. That's what happens when you have that crossover from an old regime to a new regime. Maybe they have a different way of they want to do stuff. And, you know, it's going to be very interesting to see how that unit develops. Because, listen, if that unit is, you know, not better than it has been, it's going to be another long season for this team. Nothing, nothing else matters. If they're yes. bad, nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. 
real quick, let's talk about the tight end position. Cause I, I, you know, Dable doesn't use the tight end. I think as well, actually, let me back up a little bit. He doesn't use 12 and 13 personnel as much as the previous regime did, but there is definitely a role for the tight end. And it's interesting because they also have this fullback undrafted free agent fullback in, in hall, Jeremiah hall, who is a running back fullback. He can catch, he can lead block. He can kind of do a lot of stuff from that back. He'll be almost like an H back and stuff like that. He can be a He can be a Dawson Knox type of guy. Exactly. You can can say it. You can say it. It's okay. okay. All right. You said it. I I wanted you to say it, but you you know what I was, you, you, you read what I was, where I was going with this. So, so that said, you look at at the, the makeup of the tight end. We know Bellinger is going to be, you know, in the, in the mix. I know he's on pop right now as we record this, but he's going to be part of the, the team once he gets healthy. What about the rest of that, that room? Because, you know, again, you got Ricky Seals Jones on a one-year deal. You got um, Jordan Akins is on a one-year deal. And then you got a couple of developmental kids in Austin Allen. You got uh, Andre Miller, who they're trying to convert that you brought back Chris Myrick and you got this hall kid. So how do you kind of see this shaping up? Well, obviously I think that the idea well, number one, what what is up? What's up with the Giants fans? I talked about it on my podcast, but why are they all losing their mind over Bellinger being on the pub list? Like, why is everybody? Oh my gosh, it's doom and gloom. We're so we're so snake bit. <laughs> um, ladies and gentlemen, people are conditioned because of right? the injuries. Daniel Bellinger is not a complete tight end. He is a blocker who has an opportunity to develop into a decent pass catcher. So at at most right now, if he's on the field, he's there to block. Like we have to keep these the expanding expectations is what gets people in trouble all the time. Like look at what someone can do, respect and love them for what they do. And once they show you they can do more, add that to the plate. But don't expect them to be that right now when you don't have to worry about being disappointed. Oh, well, how many times have we heard, oh, we thought that he would develop into this? They did that with Evan Ingram. Evan Ingram is a receiver. He's not a tight end. He's a receiver. He just happens to be a little bit chunkier than than most receivers. He's a little thicker than them. If they just respected Evan Ingram as a receiver, we a lot of people wouldn't have the 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 issues that they had with Evan Ingram because he was never going to be the guy that you put hand hand in the dirt and block everybody. Now back to your point. I think that the that the tight end room will be one that's that's full of development. All of the tight ends that you named outside of Bellinger, they're all guys who have not played tight end their entire life. So they're all guys who, who have been converted. Akins was a convert. Um, um, Sills Jones was a convert. Um, both of those guys, well, Akins started playing tight end in, in college towards the end of his career. Sills Jones played wide receiver at Texas A&M. He never played um, tight end until he got to the league. So both of those guys are, you know, they're, they're still working their way through it, but both of them can be a, a plug if needed on the short term. So it's a good opportunity for those guys to come in and be the professionals until Bellinger can take a position or show that he might be able to, 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 to be a plus in receiving. And if so, those guys go by the wayside. You've got Bellinger as your guy in your 11 personnel, which is your preferred personnel. Outside of that, if you want to go with a more dynamic guy, now your fullback comes into play. And you say, hey, we can do a bunch of different things. We can put him into the backfield and give more of a 
20 personnel look. We can put them, you know, as a as a as a wing and, and go really more like that 11 with a detached tight end type of look. You have more options with him and you'll see him em- employed in those ways on routes out of the backfield, routes from the hip, um, routes in a in a in a 12 personnel where you get two tight ends. You might get a Bellinger and him on the field at the same time. All of those things make him the most dynamic piece in the room, right? If he makes the team, that's all. That's all becomes like what 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 will they do um, when it's time to get down to the to the main roster? But I think he gives you the most dynamic. I think Bellinger is what everybody hopes will be the number one tight end, and then those other guys, Seals Jones, most specifically, ends up being the guy who's the backup. That if Bellinger is hurt or on the pup list. He can come in and he can hold it down the same way he showed that he could hold it down in Washington. Mm. Everybody always wants to make comparisons and you're right. People do have higher expectations and part of that's fueled by, you know, the media reports, you know, Bellinger looks so good as a pass catcher, you know, pro football focus saying that he didn't drop any passes. So I can understand it. And to your point about why people are panicking because Bellinger's on pup, I think we're conditioned at this point because it's like, the Giants have been one of the most injured teams and it's like, oh no, here we go again, <laughs> which, you know, from what I understand, Bellinger's injury is not considered serious. Now it's you a, don't want to see injury. It's a yeah, quad I mean, injury. You, so. you don't, you don't want to see rookies miss any practice time. So mm-hmm. we don't know how long he's going to be, but look, the good news is, is once he's healthy, he can come up, come off a pup. They've got five day acclimation period coming up where they're going to just be in shorts and shells uh, if that, or maybe shorts and helmets and, and, you know, if he's not back and he starts missing times the following week, when they go into pads, then I might say, okay, the more time you miss the, you know, the more concerned I would be. So, well, I, my point really more is <coughs> you're not winning or losing games based off of Daniel Bellinger's play. Like that's not going to be the swing for wins and losses right now. Right. If that offensive line doesn't get it done. Right. There's no there's no wins happening. If Daniel Jones doesn't perform better, <laughs> there are no wins happening. If if Saquon Barkley is 3.1 yards a carry, Saquon Barkley, winning is going to be more difficult. That's yeah. what it comes down to for this offense. Like not no God bless Daniel Bellinger. I hope he's great, but he's not he's not it's not like they're losing Travis Kelsey. Yeah. You know, yeah, there's a no, difference when Kelsey goes out. And so it was just amazing to me. All I heard on, on social media or all I saw on social media was people panicking about a guy being on the pup list with a quad injury. I'm like a quad injury. If, even if it's really, really bad, you're talking six weeks. Like, come yeah. on. We're not, this is a 17 week season. We haven't even started day one of camp yet. All right, Giant fans, we have more coming up on today's Locked on Giants podcast. But first, Bet Online is the only place that offers the best information on the latest odds, contests, and player props for all your sports betting needs. No matter what sport you're into, BetOnline.net has you covered. Plus, they offer everything you need to know for live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. So head on over to BetOnline.net today to learn more about the trends and the action. BetOnline, where the games start. All right, let's talk Coach Wink and that defense. Now, I have a theory. I am probably way off base with this theory. I will run it by you. <laughs> okay. 
we know we can, I think we can agree that the Giants have a, a little bit of a hole, if you will, in the defensive backfield with James Bradbury gone because they have a lot, they have guys, but not a lot of experience. Mm-hmm. So here's my crazy theory. They beefed up the pass rush, which they needed to do. Don't get mm-hmm. me wrong, to create a situation where up front now, maybe it takes some of the onus off of that back end of the defense because now you've got legitimate pass rushers and you are forcing the opponent, the opponent to pick their poison, if you will. Who are you going to double up? And if you double up Leonard Williams, well, guess what? You're going to have Thibodeau coming at you and Ojulari coming at you. Or if you double up Thibodeau, you're going to have Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence pushing up front. And then you're going to have more one-on-one situations. Am I crazy for thinking that? No, I think, I think that's what you hope, right? When you, when you take a pass rusher with a top, you know, with the top five pick, you're hoping that you have a guy who makes life easier on the back end. So, um, and, and again, I, I want people to understand, it's not that I don't like the defensive backs that they have, but to, to, but to say you're good when you get rid of James Bradbury, I just can't say that if when I know that you have not upgraded the position, you just said, hey, we're going to take some other guys. Um, so I think that the, the clock will be sped up for the quarterback, which can help those guys not cover as long which could possibly get that quarterback to throw some errant balls that maybe fall into the hands of defensive backs. Unless it's, unless it's Jackson and we know he won't catch it because he never catches them. Um, he'll, he'll knock them down. He's not catching it. Um, so weird, by the way. Why do you think his hands are so bad when he's a, he's a, he's a legitimate, like, good punt returner? Like, how, does, how is his hand so bad at defensive back? I'll never understand that. I have no idea. I couldn't. I'll never understand either. it. It's 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 one of those things where you're just like, but but how? Anyway, I, I think that you're right on. Um, the scariest thing for opponents is to give is to allow Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence to consistently see one on one pass rush opportunities. I don't think that Dexter Lawrence is that's his that's that's my um that's my ugly if if people go check it out on giants country that's my ugly of him but it's not ugly because he 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 can't produce pressure it's ugly because he's a one-trick pony he's gonna he's gonna bull rush you he's gonna work off the shoulder if he's not able to do that he's not going to have a lot of success in the pass rush but the problem or the reason why he doesn't have an opportunity to do that much is because he's usually double teamed (laughs) and so like if you give him one-on-one opportunities consistently along with Leonard Williams having one-on-one opportunities consistently, that changes the entire dynamic. And when you've got, an, when you've got a second year beefed up Aziz Ojalary on one side and you've got a Kayvon Thibodeau on the other side and you can come off the bench with a, a Carter Coughlin who is energy all day, that, that changes the dynamic. And, and, and that's before we even get into the different types of combination that, that Coach Winker is going to put together in order to really take advantage of that pass rush. So it'll be interesting to see how, how, he, how he lines everyone up, how, where everybody plays more. I, I still think we're going to see more Dexter Lawrence in a one technique than we have in the, since his rookie season when he played a little bit more one technique. Like, I think that's the way, because I think him as a one technique, it's just it's scary because he just mauls people, and he's going to maul a lot of centers if he's playing in the one technique, but even if he's in a three or, or a four, 
I still think you'll see more one-on-one opportunities for him and for Leonard Williams, who will be Leonard Williams because that's what he is every year, somewhere around, you know, between five and ten, you know, sacks and, and, and really good in a run game and, and, and always out there playing. Thank you for validating that, by the way. I've been screaming about Dexter Lawrence and having him at his one tech, and I don't understand why they got away from that. He did that in college. Well, because he's because he's really talented, and at the time they had a legitimate nose, right? Yeah. So they had a legitimate nose that allowed him to come out and play. And then when they got rid of the legitimate nose, why not move him back? Because that, and that's that's where the problem was, right? Who are you? Who are you going to replace him with? Mm-hmm. And I don't think they had that on the roster now, um, at that time. And I think now they have an answer for that on the roster, hopefully. so that we can see that yeah hopefully indeed what's the one thing that concerns you most about Wink's defense um a lot of man-to-man that's what that's what concerns me um a man-to-man allows you to get pressure but man-to-man means that you're going to leave some people vulnerable and naked and 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 there are a lot of talented wide receivers in this um in the NFC East You've got to see Dallas twice a year. They've got guys mm-hmm. all over the place. You have to see the Eagles twice a year. They've got mm-hmm. guys all over the place. You have to see the Washington um, Commanders twice a year. They've got guys all over the place. You sl- I was watching. I was watching Robinson get cooked by rookies and undrafted free agents during during train. I mean during those OTAs and stuff. I was seeing videos of him getting ran right by, getting jumped over. If that's happening to you early on, if you don't get that together, they're going to just ha- they're just going to have lunch over there. Yeah. It's it's they're they're looking at this secondary like food, and and they have to be ready for that. They are going to be challenged regularly from the beginning of the season until they prove that they can consistently shut people down. And yeah. if they don't do that, it's going to be a long, 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 long season for that secondary. So mm. that's what concerns me. I think all that man-to-man, which you have to play when you're trying to bring all that pressures, especially those exotics, somebody, if they're not ready to step up for that challenge, can get exposed pretty quickly. Yeah, indeed. Going to be interesting, my friend. We're going to kick it off today on Wednesday. Yeah, yeah. Look at that smile. He can't wait. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's Christmas. It's Christmas. That's right. It's Christmas. He is Coach Gene Clemens. He's currently doing his Good, Great, Ugly series. If you haven't checked it out, gosh, you are missing some good stuff. He's also going to have some film stuff. I mean, Coach Gene is the man to check out. Check out his podcast, A Giant Issue. I think it's every Monday, right? You every, Monday every Monday at 6 o'clock. We just had one that dropped this Monday. Um, we were talking about the tight end position um, and why people were losing their mind. We talked a little bit about expectations. Um, going into camp. So definitely go and check that out. And he will also, of course, hopefully be on the Giants Country YouTube channel uh, with his takes and uh, just really excited, exciting times. And, and Coach Gene, always appreciate the insight you bring to the podcast. And um, make sure you're following him, Coach Gene. It, actually, it's at Gene Clemens. We call him Coach Gene because he is a real football coach. So yeah, I'm, I'm about stuff. to go to practice here in another 30 minutes. So all right. So, all right, Giant fans, that's going to do it for us today. Again, make sure you keep it here on the Locked on Giants podcast all week long. We will have updates from camp. We'll have observations, notes, thoughts, you name it. We'll have it for you. 
keep it here on the Lock on Giants podcast. Thank you for making us your first listen of the day or watching on YouTube your first watch of the day. We'll catch you again tomorrow.